Find Your Focus is a recharging space for the ambitious, introverted woman. Grab a quick energy boost and reflect on how you want to show up as an introverted leader in your personal and professional life. Here's some inspiring stories of people around the world who've done things differently from society's extroverted expectations. Your host, Heather, a woman's leadership and life transitions coach, founder of a restored radiance coaching for the ambitious introvert, international communicator and marketer, world traveler, UK expat, and fellow introvert. Heather aims to help ambitious, introverted women find their unique leadership voice and create life transition roadmaps from career changes to moving countries or cities. Join Heather every Tuesday to find your focus, to fill your mindset with positivity and motivation to go after your dreams using your own unique energy blueprint. Your perceived weaknesses are your powerhouse. Here is your host. Today on the podcast, we're talking all about travel. And you know, I love me some travel as the, a dual citizen of the UK and the US. I recently just got back from the UK myself after 11 years there. And today we're jamming with Emily Walsh, a teacher and host of the In Search of Her podcast. Growing up, Emily lost two important people in her life, her father and stepfather. At the age of 25, she decided to pack her bags, leave her hometown in Cleveland, Ohio, and move across the world to Dubai, Taiwan, where she took an English teaching job. Emily got her first stamp on her passport, moved out of her house, and took her first contracted teaching position in one day. She went from growing up and working in the same hometown her entire life to a world traveler, online teacher, and podcast host of In Search of Her. Emily educates women on mindfulness, meditation, and travel to help them heal from grief and adversity and tap into their true and authentic self. And without further ado, here's Emily. Hi, ladies. I'm so excited for today's guest um, on the podcast, Emily Walsh. She is the host of In Search of Her podcast, and she is an English teacher to Chinese and Taiwanese students. She's going to be speaking today about grieving and the growth as a solo traveler and expat. And I can't wait for you to meet Emily. Emily, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here and to share a little bit about myself and my journey of living overseas. It was an incredible experience. Uh, I can't wait to dive in deep and just hear all about your travels because you just moved back to the States, haven't you? Yes, I actually moved back, I would say, two months ago from today. So it's been a quite an adjustment coming back because I was gone for 16 months. Um, but I love being back home. I miss my family and friends. So I'm excited to see where this new chapter leads me, being back home. Post-expat life, post-travel, digital nomad life That. <laughs> you know, a lot of people strive for, so I'm excited for it. Oh, well, welcome back. It's so good to speak with you. And I am going to go straight in to find out what made you decide to leave and what was that process like? Before I left, I graduated college at 24 years old. And about a month after I graduated, unfortunately, my stepfather passed away. And during that time, I really wanted to get away. Well, actually, for years, I wanted to get away. 
I always thought it would be liberating to move to a city where you don't know a single soul and just kind of start over. And I remember I was talking with my mom and I told her for weeks, like, I just want to leave. I just want to leave. I don't want to be here anymore. Maybe a way for me to find myself and to heal in some way. So after I graduated college, I graduated with a special ed degree. I started subbing in a school. I was a waitress. I was working after school at a library. And I told myself, if I can't find a full-time contract position, a full-time teaching position by August, then I will get another teaching license and go move overseas the following year. And so what happened was I never got a full-time job. I would apply all the time and I just couldn't even get an interview. So I thought, well, now is my chance to go because clearly the universe is saying, let's go, let's do it. You had this plan, you had this thought, so now let's make it happen. So in August of 2017, I decided to get another teaching license to teach English to children who don't speak English, so speakers of other languages. And after I got my certificate, I stopped subbing in the school. I started teaching English online with the company I work for now full-time. And I ended up getting a job a couple months after with a school in Taipei, Taiwan. So things moved pretty quickly. I got my certificate in January. I got a job, I believe, in March or April. And I left that August to Taiwan. So within, a, I would say, a year and a half calendar year, I graduated college, got a new teaching degree, and left. It was very quick. And during those months, while I was doing all that, I was working three jobs so I could go move overseas. And I did it. And I didn't know anybody who I was working with before I left. I didn't have an apartment. I was living in a hotel in Taiwan for about two weeks, and I ended up living there for six months than I had originally planned. So the plan was to stay there from August to July, because that was my contract, and I ended up staying there until December, so a little bit six months after. So that's a little bit about my journey from the before and then the year and a half-ish living over there. Wow, that's amazing. I actually have so many questions. Because <laughs> it's so fascinating. And I can relate on certain aspects as a, a fellow expat. But first of all, like applaud you because you sound very decisive. I definitely in my journey, I wasn't as decisive. It took me a while to realize that this is something I wanted and to, to act despite the fear. So what made you act despite that fear so quickly? After I lost my stepfather, I then got into meditation and mindfulness. And I think from practicing that every single day and just really protecting my energy and really focusing on that and the mind, in a sense, to heal and grieving, from doing that, I realized that there was a lot of things in my life that I would do based on what other people thought I should do or based on what I think people would want me to do or what I think my stepfather and father would want me to do. But is it what I want to do? So from meditating and practicing that, I realized that this is something I want to do. Because years ago, in 2014, I had told my roommate at the time, I really want to go teach overseas. And this was three, four years from that. So in the back of my mind, I had already had thought that before. 
But I was afraid of, number one, leaving people behind because, you know, my mother lost her husband, feeling guilty for that, to leaving friends and family behind that maybe don't really agree with it, doing something that normally people wouldn't do because I was the first of my family to go live overseas and let alone to travel to Asia. And even in my circle of friends group, I knew no one that has lived overseas other than people who have been in the military that have been overseas. But most of them would go to Europe. And I knew no one that had thought about working overseas or traveling to Asia. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it seemed like I was the pioneer in a sense. And I knew in my heart deep down that even as a child, I always wanted to go to Asia. I always wanted to go to China and Japan and India. Before Instagram, before social media, that's where I've always wanted to go. So I thought, well, I'll just go where my inner child has always wanted to go and do. And with that, I made that decision. It was it almost seems like a no-brainer for me. But actually, now that I think about it, when I was applying at jobs, to go work overseas, I had a job offer in Shanghai, China, and a job offer in Taipei, Taiwan. And the job in Shanghai was double the money. It looked really pretty on the outside. They were going to pay for a lot of stuff. The one in Taiwan was less paid, and it didn't really have as much benefits as the other one. But like I said, from the meditation and practicing that, I would sit there and think, why do I want to go here? And I would observe and listen to my body and I would imagine what I would look like if I went to Taiwan and what it would look like if I went to China. And I just observed my thoughts, observed my body. How does it feel when I think about this? And I knew in my heart that going to Taiwan was the right answer from that. So I think whoever's listening to this, to go back where your inner child is, where have you always wanted to go or what have you always wanted to do and what do you want? Not what mom or your dad wants or what you think looks good on a resume or what you think other people would think that you're successful, but what do you want? And that's a very important question and perspective to ask. And for me, knowing that my decisions have been based on that. Oh, that's such good tips as well, especially if somebody is finding themselves really indecisive between a big decision or even a small decision. For someone who might not be a meditator or someone who maybe is new to meditation and finds it really hard to be still and silent, how would you encourage them to start that process of kind of getting to know what their inner child wants and envisioning their kind of their dreams and goals? And how would they know that they have arrived to the right decision? So I think if anyone is starting out, to start small. I started off meditating one minute a day and through an app. And I know it sounds so silly, but when you've never done it before, I would like to describe it as the scene in the movie from Eat, Pray, Love, how she's in India at the ashram. She's trying to meditate and she's thinking about her meditation room. And a minute goes by and she's like, oh my goodness, like it's only been a minute. So I like to describe that analogy for someone who's just starting out. Also, even if you just close your eyes and just dream and just get in a place where there are no limitations, close your eyes, feel what would it be like if I did this? What would it be like if I made this decision? 
and really sit there and just feel it and kind of play daydream. Like the saying, don't quit your daydream. Close your eyes and daydream and think really big. And how does that make you feel? And I think from that, when you feel a sensation of, wow, this feels amazing, then that's when you know to go for it. So even if you're not into meditation, you can simply close your eyes and play daydream like you were a seven-year-old child that, you know, wanted to be a princess or wanted to be an astronaut and whatnot. Really feel, how does it feel if you did that? Because it's a really great feeling. Oh, that's such a good point. And I love how, you know, start small. One minute. We all have one minute, whether that's literally on the toilet, (laughs) whether that's in your car, in a parking lot, hiding in a closet while you're considering what to wear, literally just one moment to close your eyes and to breathe and to just stop for a second. And I think that is so important. And it's just a healthy practice for especially introverts. We can be in our head a lot. And when we're in our head a lot, Sometimes we don't see those patterns and, and we don't make the connection to what our thoughts are and what we're doing because we're not really reminded to do that a lot. We're just reminded to do, 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 do. And so allowing ourselves to get in touch with our internal, you know, our intuition and our dreams and our goals and blending that into our action. I think that's really healthy. Yes, I definitely agree with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, you are also a fellow introvert, so welcome. <laughs> and I yes, want thank you. Did you always know you were an introvert or was this a process that you figured out when you lost your stepfather and you were trying to figure things out in the direction you wanted to go? Would you be able to share a little bit more about that? I think I knew at a very young age I was an introvert. I know growing up, I was really shy. When I was a little girl, if an adult were to talk to me, I would barely talk to them. And I was the older sister for about six years. So my sister and I are almost six years apart. So growing up until I was six, I was by myself. Also, there were other times that I noticed that I didn't really want to play with other kids. And I wanted to do other things, so I wanted to be by myself. Growing up, I would read books when other neighbors and kids would be like, hey, let's play tag. And I would say no, because I wanted to either read a book or maybe it's because there was another person who was there that I didn't really want to hang out with. I would read books. Also, I think there were other times in my life where I knew I was introverted in middle school, in high school. When I was in high school, I was a cheerleader, I was a dancer and drama club. And you would think from those roles that I'd be this extroverted, popular person with all these different friends and I could talk to anybody because of that creative expression. However, I was probably one of the most awkward cheerleaders in all of history of cheerleaders. I was very shy, but when I would dance and perform, it's like it came out. So that was my way of expressing myself, was dance and cheerleading and moving my body. But I knew in high school that even though I was a cheerleader and I was involved with a lot of stuff, I still felt in a sense that I don't have a lot of friends or I felt that I couldn't really be myself. That's how I felt when I was in high school. In the workforce, um, when I was older and in college, even just working part-time jobs, having difficulty developing intimate relationships with people who I worked with. So people would ask me all the time, hey, Emily, do you want to go out to this bar or whatever? But I would say, 
no because I wouldn't feel comfortable with a bunch of people. And I remember I did say yes to going out with this group of people. And I remember specifically, I had a couple drinks, but everyone was talking to everyone, but I was just standing there. And I just felt so alone and I felt so different compared to anyone else because I wasn't able to just go to anyone to talk to them. I felt that it was different because I saw everyone else being able to talk to everyone. I knew that there were a lot of periods in my life and situations like that where I knew I was introverted. Sometimes I felt ashamed for it. I felt ashamed that, wow, I can't really talk to people or why can't I make friends with people when others seem like they could just talk to anybody or I would hang out with extroverted people and they would make friends with someone and they would ask for their number but not mine. I always felt a sense of not that there's something wrong with me but I can't talk to people and I'm never going to be this way. So I felt that way for a long time. I can really relate on a lot of that especially going to big places and like with lots going on and yeah as an introvert I think before you realize your strengths you you tend to see where you might be lacking in the society's view, right? If you're not interacting like the extroverts, you think there's something immediately wrong with you. When you are in those moments, what shifted for you to see your introvert nature as a strength rather than a weakness? I think being an introvert is a strength in the sense where you are a good listener. You don't always have to react and respond to everything because sometimes there just doesn't have to be a response. Also, as an introvert and just observing other people, you're in tune of your surroundings. You're a good listener. I think from that, it makes me able to develop not just a bunch of relationships on the surface, but more deeper connections with people. So I think being an introvert is also a strength and there's something that It's not something that you should be ashamed of, that there's something wrong with me. Flip this role instead of like, I'm not the one who's talking all the time, but I'm the one that's actively listening. And I remember what this person's saying. So the next time I see them, I said, oh, I remember you do this. And it makes people feel like they were listening and they were heard. So I do view that as a strength as well. Oh, that's such a good reminder for me as well, because I think when it comes to introversion or extroversion, it's all a spectrum, right? And we're all different on that spectrum. So where we need alone time, where we need to be connecting with people, either in a large group sense or a small group sense, it's all individual to everyone. And I think it's only through those experiences of like you were saying, feeling that awkwardness and knowing that that wasn't for you, maybe not for you at that time or not for you in that amount of <laughs> scenarios. Um, maybe you realize that you're better one-on-one connections because like you said, you are a great listener. That's where you decide to put your energy. I would definitely agree with that. And I think, as you mentioned before, there's a spectrum too. And it's also different social settings too. Like some people may be okay with talking to whoever at a bar. Some people may be okay with a small party, get together or a dinner or even a meetup at a yoga class or a dance class or something of that nature. I think for me, I can't do well with big crowds or making small talk at a bar. Someone else might be able to, but that's still okay. And I think it's just acknowledging and identifying and being self-aware of I don't really do well in this setting and that's okay because there's other people that may be more comfortable in other settings and I don't think there's anything wrong with that introvert or extrovert or not. So I think it's just important to identify that, own it and embrace 
Yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> I definitely want to come back to creating community because I'm fascinated to know how you did that in um, Taiwan. But before we do that, I wanted to dive into a bit more of how did you cope with grief through your own introverted experience? I know grief is a very individual process. It's different every time and it's different for each person. But I do think that it's something that we don't often talk about as a society because we're very uncomfortable with loss and death. For anyone out there who might be going through that right now, perhaps your experiences might be you know, a warm hug or just some loving care to them in need. Well, I think with anything, grief is a journey in itself. I know when I was younger, I would try to keep myself busy and try to hang out with as many people as I could to kind of get my mind off of it. And I did that for many years and was involved with cheerleading and all this stuff. And then I think when I got older, I became more withdrawn to social aspect and I became more of myself. But as I look back of the 11 years that I've been grieving, I don't see anything wrong with either of those. Because like I said, grief is a journey. Maybe these months, you need to be with people, or you need to go to the gym to get your mind off of it, or you need to be with friends, or all you want to do is read a book and not socialize with anyone. That's fine too, because we all handle it in our own way. And for me, as I got older, I would travel and go to places where I wanted to go, mainly because I thought to myself, well, I lost my father at a young age and I lost my stepfather. And I thought to myself, well, if I don't go to these places, now that I am young and I have the opportunity, I don't want to feel a sense of regret. Or on the flip side, I want to go to places that we would go to together to also comfort myself. And sometimes I would go to places by myself. Like I would go to a restaurant by myself, of a place that we would go to. Sometimes I would do things with friends where if it's like an anniversary or something, if it was a really good friend that understood, whether it's just bringing my friend to my stepfather's favorite ice cream place and eating the ice cream that he liked or traveling to a place that my dad and my stepfather really wanted to go but didn't have the chance to. I think it just depends on where you're at right now. I think that, you know, as you said earlier, as an introvert, we get in our heads and maybe we look into the future too much. But I think it's about being in the present moment. What do you need today? Not what do you need tomorrow? What do you think you're going to need? But what do you need today? And ask yourself that. I think that's where healing comes in. It's just taking it day by day and not judging yourself. Because I think for many years, I judged myself very hard. And once I let the judgment of myself go, I not only stopped judging other people, but I got that off my chest, that it's okay. That if I don't want to go to this party or go to this social event, I don't have to. And to understand that I shouldn't feel guilty for that. Oh, that's such good information. Good to like, Serpy goodness. It's because it's giving yourself permission to grieve in however you need. Some days it's going to be messy. Others, it's going to be a bit more like therapeutic. It's, it's all part of the process and you might feel rage and sadness at the same time. And it's really confusing, but whether you need one-on-one -on -one time in that moment or whether you need a group of your trusted VIPs, that's really important to know and to just allow yourself I think that prompt that you gave about 
asking what you need today, you know, and even also asking how you're feeling today, not how you're feeling in the future or in the past, because you're in a different moment than either of those. What you need today and how you're feeling today can help you look after yourself in that moment and give you a bit more comfort and support. Yes, of course. My experiences and my ways of grieving looks different than other people. So I also want to say that what I do may look a lot different than you, but it doesn't mean that how I grieve or how I handle things is any better or worse than if someone were to do something else. Because grief is a journey and it's individualized and I feel a certain way on this day and you may have this moment on another day. And as mentioned before, like ask yourself, what do you need today? How do you feel today? And embracing it, acknowledging it and doing whatever you need to do in that moment. Absolutely. And I'd like to dive in as well, because you mentioned that you would travel when you felt called to. Can you talk a little bit about grief and using solo travel as a way to express that grief and how that played into your experience in Taiwan. So there were many times where I felt called to go somewhere. If there was a special occasion or my father and stepfather's birthday, I would go to either a temple and I would pray to the temple or go to outside in nature because my stepfather loved nature. And I remember specifically, I went to a place in Taiwan. It had a bunch of mountains. It's like the Grand Canyon of Taiwan, but it's more green and lush. And I remember it was a year of me being in Taiwan. And I take a picture of this mountain that I was looking at, and I immediately started crying. And I think I started crying because I realized in that moment that if my stepfather were to be alive, he would probably be here visiting me, and we would probably be hiking on this trail. So there was a lot of things that I would do to embrace his life. Also, there was another time where I would travel, and I went to Seoul, Korea, and I was there for five days by myself. They say that the body knows before your mind does. And I remember I stepped on the grounds of this temple. It wasn't anything special. It was just a temple in Korea. But I remember I stepped foot on the grounds and my body just responded like I needed to purify in some way. It's almost like I needed to be there because that day and I spent maybe two hours on and off crying, just purifying myself, the loss of my father and stepfather and me that I'm here now and I've come a long way. And I went into the temple. The next thing you know, there's a service going on and I'm sitting there, sitting and kneeling next to this woman who's a Korean woman and she hands me this book to pray. I don't know Korean at all. And I just look at the pages, flip the pages and I just listen to the service, which was a Buddhist service, a Korean Buddhist service. I had no idea what they were saying, but I just sat there and I just prayed. Prayed for my mother, losing her her husband, praying for myself, praying for other people who may be feeling the way I do. I spent maybe an hour and a half in that scenario as well, just praying for not only myself, but pray for others who have felt the way that I have. I would do that with my travels to not only heal myself, but and also a memory of the people that I've lost to celebrate their life. I think that's very important and very special that we also can celebrate life and grieving 
is a way to show that we loved someone or something, but it's no longer there. So I think however you want to express yourself when you're grieving, I don't believe grief is a way to be ashamed of or to feel sad for. I believe that grief shows love. You are grieving because you loved someone or something and they're not here. And that's what it is. So why should you be ashamed for it or to feel guilty for it? If you are grieving and you want to express yourself and to show your love for someone, to do that in whatever way that looks for you. For me, it was traveling. I think that whatever it looks for you, to do it in the way that feels good for you. Oh, there's so much goodness in there. And when you were telling of your own experiences, I was also relating to my own because as you know, I was living abroad for 11 years and toward the end of those 11 years, I lost one of my father figures, my grandfather. And I remember sitting there in my, my flat at the time, which if Carrie Bradshaw lived in Edinburgh, Scotland, she would have had that flat. It looked right at this beautiful medieval castle atop an extinct volcanic rock. I was in the most glorious place and yet I was crumpled on the floor, like heaving like cries because I was losing this father figure, this one who like, who kind of made me who I am today. I needed to express myself and just let out all the emotion in just whatever way I needed. But then in months past that, after we had lost him, I was kind of going through kind of the rote numbness that sometimes grief has. I was also called to travel and to just get away and switch the scenery. And luckily I had two of my besties who were up for a journey and and they kind of instigated it a bit. And we, we had all lost somebody close to us in that year. And so we went to Thailand and it was amazing. We were on the beach in January. It was super warm. It was amazing. One evening, we lit Chinese lanterns for the memory of our loved ones who were no longer there. It was like you were saying, it was also a celebration that they lived a beautiful life, so beautiful that it really impacted us. And we carried their memory and little bits of their traits and personality and characteristics and maybe their values and morals that we would, every time we talked to somebody, we would kind of like just gift that and a little bit of their essence onto that person. So it was in that moment, while those Chinese lanterns kind of sailed over the sea, it was just beautiful how their memories and their love and joy were kind of returning back to the earth and we were giving that away. And it was just like a really beautiful moment. Yes, I think that is so awesome that you celebrated their life in that way. Because I think, as you mentioned earlier, how you said that you were living in this nice apartment, yet you were crying and upset. And maybe you felt guilty for that. Like, why should I be crying because I am here? Sometimes we base our scenarios and we judge ourselves for that reason. So let's say that you have a good job, but you're grieving and you're saying, like, why should I be crying? I have a good job. Shouldn't I be happy? But I think the problem is that it goes back to, again, judging yourself. You shouldn't judge yourself based on your circumstances. Forgive yourself for feeling the way you do. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think someone who may be listening has felt that way too. I know that I felt that way as well. When I was traveling to Bali for my birthday and Thanksgiving, I remember I was video chatting my family while I was there. 
and everything was fine that day. And then the next day it hit me. I went to the beach and I came back and I was crying uncontrollably in my home state. In that moment, I felt, why am I crying? Why couldn't I have just cried when I was in Taiwan and not on vacation when I'm here? And I wanted to do other things that day, and I didn't. I ended up in my homestay. And that day, I felt really guilty for myself. Like, you, you wasted a whole day crying. You're here in Bali. Shouldn't you be happy? And I had to remind myself that I shouldn't feel guilty for it because when we are grieving, it comes out of nowhere. We shouldn't be ashamed for it. So it could come out of nowhere, whether we're on vacation, whether we're at the grocery store, at work. And I don't feel that it's something that you should be ashamed of. Because as I mentioned before, grief means that you loved someone. In a sense that to observe how you're feeling and to not judge yourself mm. and embody that and express yourself however you need to. 100%. Yeah. And I think you hit on that a lot of us, we wouldn't treat others how we treat ourselves, right? We have certain expectations for ourselves and they tend to be a, probably a bit harsher, a bit harder of like, you know, higher standards than we would have for our loved ones. In those moments where, you know, your loved ones are grieving, you're, you're going to be there to kind of hold them and either hold them physically or hold space for them to just be and express what they need to express. But we often don't see that and how we can be that friend for ourselves. I think what you were saying there with allowing yourself that permission to kind of give yourself that forgiveness and that support in that moment, even though it doesn't look like what you had journaled in your planner <laughs> that day, it's okay because you didn't know how you're going to feel when you woke up. I think that expectation, releasing those expectations is one of the best things we can do because expectations really hold us back. I find your story so powerful and, and resonate with it because to be someone who has never traveled overseas before and is going through grief to then release yourself from any expectations that you had for yourself or maybe how you thought family would treat you if you left them in that moment that is so brave and so I really admire that well thank you very much I know that it took me a long time and a lot of inner work a lot of people say do the inner work and it looks different for everybody it takes a lot to not feel guilty, in a sense. Especially women, we feel guilty. We want to be the caregivers. We want to be there for people. And sometimes, not even just women, but sometimes we don't give ourselves what we need. So for me, for years, I would always do what everyone wanted me to do. And it got to a point where I can't give what I want to give, and I can't love and cultivate relationships that are meaningful if I don't take care of myself first. So once I realized that that I've always wanted to travel, for me to do that, that's what I had to do. And so maybe who's listening that maybe you don't want to travel and go overseas, but I know that there is something that you've been wanting to do or you've been holding back because you don't want to feel guilty of other people and other people's expectations. And what happens is when we don't take care of ourselves, it can backfire on us a lot. 
So Emily, I think that's such a powerful reminder for women to really release those expectations. You mentioned as well um, throughout our chat how important community is in certain times to support you and, and to boost your energy when needed. I'm curious as well, because you booked that flight to Taiwan really quickly and you knew no one. You didn't have any role models or anyone you knew in Asia at all. So as an introvert, and someone who is also experiencing grief and maybe at some times might be kind of holding themselves back just to look after themselves. How did you create community in Taiwan? So there is a couple of things that I did. The first one was I had an open mind because I know that at a certain age, we become very accustomed to who we choose our friends with. And that is a good thing. In a sense, but when you're moving overseas, that can maybe hinder you to develop relationships that you maybe didn't think you would have. I had a very open mind because I think if I didn't make friends or talk to people that I usually wouldn't talk to, I wouldn't be friends with the people who I have now. Also, before I left, I joined a bunch of Facebook groups. I joined a couple that were travel related, like Girls Love Travel or Solo female travel, I, I don't know the exact name, but a couple of Facebook groups with other women who love to travel, and also Facebook groups for people and expats who live in Taiwan. So I reached out to people and talked through that as well before I left just to kind of get a feel for it. When I arrived in Taiwan, I obviously met the group of teachers who I had to teach with. I would hang out with them. At first, it was all cool because we were all new and stuff. And going back to being introverted and choosing who you want, I think as an expat, sometimes you may feel like, well, I don't really have a lot of friends, so I should hang out with these people. Yet deep down, you really don't want to. So sometimes it becomes a sense of friends by default. For me, I realized over time of living there, that I don't really have to hang out with these people if I really don't want to, or this person in particular. I would hang out with the people who gave me energy, who I had things in common with, and I didn't feel guilty if I didn't want to hang out with this person who I taught with. I would also meet up with people through the Facebook group. There's this one girl in particular that I met through a Facebook group. She moved to Taiwan. She wasn't living in my city. But we were talking for a couple of months. She ended up coming up to Taipei, and we ended up meeting in person. And I thought that was so cool because she's an introvert too, and she loves to travel as well. We had a lot of things in common. And I think there are a couple of ways to do it. Um, and I, again, I'll rephrase it, like to be very open-minded, to just talk to whoever makes you happy and you have things in common with and just get to know someone. Because I think... By doing that, I was able to be friends with people I never knew that I could be. Also, if you are traveling, which is what I did, I would join groups or tours to be around with other people if I was a solo traveler. So an example, when I was in Seoul, I did a dance class, and I joined a coffee meetup with people. I met people through there. So I think there are a couple ways to do it. As I mentioned earlier, however you feel comfortable with, whether you're okay with going to a bar scene or a restaurant, or you would rather do a coffee meetup or a dance class, whatnot. So I think putting yourself out there in terms of what feels good for you. 
What do you like to do? Do you like to do exercise classes? Do you like to do coffee meetups? Because there's so much out there on meetup.com and Facebook groups that there are so many ways to meet people and to have a community for yourself. I think that it's very easy to do nowadays, the internet. Oh, I so relate to that. And actually, those are things I did both Sometimes I moved. So when I was before I was moving to Scotland, I was doing the same thing. Although in 2008, the options were a little bit more limited. But now moving to Washington, D.C., I was like six months beforehand, I was joining Facebook groups, seeing what my lifestyle could look like in this new place, who I knew in the area. And if not, if I didn't have anyone, kind of where would I be able to go to? And like you were saying, Meetup, Bumble BFF is really good as well. There's Vina or Hey Vina, I think it's called. And you were saying just putting yourself out there because you're creating such a new community. You're not going to find your introverted soulmates or your, your soul, soulmate friends immediately. You're going to figure out, hey, this person, I'm, I'm new to the city. I don't want to be lonely. So you know, I'm really grateful to spend time with somebody. So I don't feel lonely right now, but they're not my person or one of my people. And so you're kind of grateful for that moment, but then you can kind of release that out there and and make room, still make room for those really deep connections later on. Yeah, I definitely think that's important too, Um, especially moving to a new city, not even just a new country or even getting a new job accustoming to a new work culture too it doesn't have to be a new city but i think as an introvert we like more deeper connections with people so i think for me i really just wanted to find at least one to two people that i really deeply connected with and i think just by having a couple really deep connections with people in a foreign country that it was okay to do as long as you find one person that you can really connect with that whatever journey you're on, change that you're on, whether it's work, moving to a new city, that, you know, you can adjust more easily. A hundred percent. I'm curious as well, because so American culture is very extroverted, or at least they value, they highly value extrovert characteristics rather, whether they realize it or not. And I know that other countries uh, will be different on that spectrum of introversion and extroversion. So when it came to Taiwan, what was the culture in Taiwan like? Was it more extroverted or or less? I'm curious to know. That's a really good question. I think Taiwanese people are extremely friendly. They will go out of their way to help you, whether it's finding your bus stop or calling someone who speaks English. They're very friendly, but I know as a culture, they are introverted in a sense. They're not going to share their whole life story to you, but they can be your friend. I know it looked a little bit different in a work culture and in a social setting. So in the work culture, I would say it's more introverted and passive in a sense where if you and I had something to talk about or there was an issue, we would talk to each other. But there... They want to keep the peace, so I would have to talk to someone who would talk to the person who I wanted to talk to. So in a work setting, I would say it's more reserved and introverted in a sense. But in a social setting, you can go out to the club or the bar or a meetup or a class, and you could easily make a friend there. It may not be 
you know, a deep connection right then and there, but they're so friendly that you feel so welcome that you want to be their friend. So I had a lot of that experience as well. So I had both sides of it. So if I had to say, I would say that and personality-wise, I've met a lot of extroverted Taiwanese people because they're very friendly and they'll go up to you and talk to you. But I think if we want to go deeper in a sense of, you know, that deep connection, it may be more introverted and held off for a bit. So I think it's a little bit of both. And that makes sense, right? Because no state is ever going to be one way or another. I'm curious to know as well, because having grown up in the States and as an introvert, kind of learning to adapt to more of an extroverted value system, how did you adapt to the Taiwanese more introverts expression or energy management? Because there might have been some ways, like you were saying, that you kind of learned to do more extroverted ways because that was more acceptable or that was the way to communicate to somebody. But you know, you're in a different country, you don't speak the language like natively, and you're learning a lot through experience of their customs and, and the culture. I think what I had to do was understand and learn how they communicate. That was the very first thing, is to have an understanding of some sort of the culture. Because I think when you have an understanding of the culture, you can have an understanding for yourself on how to communicate. So once I understood the working culture of how people communicate, I was able to express myself or communicate in the way that makes sense for them because I am the guest in the country. So it's important that I respect their culture, that I can still express myself, but there are certain settings where you do have to maybe not to keep the peace or to show respect in some way. So I think with the working culture is that. In a social setting, I think it's perfectly fine to be who you are, especially because they are very friendly people and that it's okay to express yourself in a way, whether it's swearing, because they swear too. I think sometimes for someone who's never left the country, maybe the question is, well, can I be myself? Can I swear? What am I going to do if my American self acts this way? But people are people. And even though we look, we speak differently, maybe we believe different things, but at the end of the day, we're all people. We all smile and laugh and cry. Very similar. Maybe it's a different way to express yourself, but we are very alike in a sense. Also, I think it's okay to be who you are because then they have an understanding of who you are in your culture too. Oh, that's such good information, good feedback for anyone who's considering traveling or moving abroad. And yes, I definitely resonate with that because the first few years of living in Scotland, I I think I, I went too much to the other side where I tried to adapt too much where I was actually not myself. And I became even like I became very quiet and very shy because I didn't want to be that version of the obnoxious American that they joke about. And then I realized I kind of had lost my own identity in that and I didn't know who I was. And so by then expressing myself more naturally and genuinely, um, what I realized is that, yeah, like you said, people are people. We are attracted to people who are authentic, who are genuine and sincere. And 
even if your personality is slightly out of the societal norm, you know, you being you and genuine and sincere and having that beautiful value system and just being open, that is going to attract people way more than you trying to adapt and put that mask on yourself. Yes, that is like a really good nugget of wisdom that you just shared. It's just being yourself. Because I think a lot of times we don't want to upset other people. And especially like being an expat, there is a fine line between, you know, respecting culture. But there's also a way to that you can express yourself and just be yourself. Because when you be yourself, the people will be drawn to you. And you'll attract the people who are supposed to be in your life. A hundred percent. So now you were living in Taiwan, was it 16 or 18 months? I was in Taiwan for 16 months. Wow. And so you've just returned back to the States. They've said that sometimes reverse culture shock can be a bit more jarring than culture shock because you assume to be challenged when you go to another country, but you don't expect to be challenged when you return back to your own country. Would you be able to share your own experiences returning back home and anything that has maybe surprised you, made you laugh, and how you're managing it as an introvert? Oh, my goodness. I think (laughs) I experienced it right away. And it's kind of funny, though, because I flew from Taipei to New York City. And when I arrived in New York City, I was getting my luggage. And they have the carts where you could put all your luggage on. Well, in Asia... I have never paid for that, nor I didn't have that much luggage, so maybe I didn't know that you had to pay to use the cart or to rent the cart. So I go to get a cart, and it's like $6. I'm like, oh, my God, $6 to use this for 10 minutes? I'm like, this is so much money. And I don't even have – I have my luggage. I said, I'm not paying $6 for this. I just had a 15-hour flight. I carry all my luggage by myself. People are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I am still in the airport. I have Wi-Fi because I don't have cellular service because I have a Taiwan number. I go to look up an Uber. And the Uber from JFK to my hotel was like $98. And to me, my heart just sank because in Taipei, a taxi that's 45 minutes away is like 30 bucks. And I was, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I am really spending $100 on a taxi. Now, I canceled the Uber. I'd never got one, and I went outside to get a taxi cab. It was still like $70. But in that moment, I thought, oh, my gosh, probably not smart to go from Taipei, where it's pretty affordable, to New York City, which is a very expensive city to begin with. Right when I returned, that alone was culture shock. I think going from, oh, wow, things are very cheap here, to, wow, things aren't very cheap here. Where did all my money go (laughs) in the next month? So adjusting that, going from things are cheap to back to normal, like, did I really pay this much for this kind of thing? But we're so accustomed to it. And also, I think when I came back, I kind of knew people would ask a couple questions and move on, but I didn't really think too far into it. So when I came back, my family had a party for me. And some family members were really into it and asked me all this stuff. Some followed me on Facebook and Instagram. So they already kind of knew. So, But some people who didn't at all, they didn't even ask me about anything. Oh, you're here, whatever. And so I was kind of more sensitive with, like, what do you mean? I was gone for almost a year and a half. And why don't you want to ask me how I've been? I haven't seen you. 
I was used to that. I think that the cost was a big issue. I think another that I felt that why doesn't anyone care about my travels? The thing is, is that there's people that are going to care about your travels and they're people that may seem like they don't, but it's because they can't relate to you. They don't know what it's like to go overseas, let alone a country or a culture that's completely different than America, and to not take that personally because they can't relate to it. It's kind of like having a friend that's getting married, but you're not. It's the same thing. It's just on a different scale. Oh, so relate to that. I remember when that happened to me and people wouldn't ask or they kind of, you know, when you're trying to compare something, because if you live somewhere else for a while, the most relative um, or related memories that you might have are actually in a different scenario. And so you're, you may be dropping references that they don't understand. And I remember being really upset and, and kind of angry. Um, like, well, why don't they want to hear me talk? Am I, it's just part of my life. And, you know, I'm listening to them share their life and I might not really, but like you were saying, it's kind of taking that step back really and kind of looking at them with kindness and, and as well as maybe yourself with a little bit of permission to just to allow them the space and allow them to do what they need to do. Because like you said, some people might find what you've done intimidating and they don't know how to ask you questions, a life that they don't even, they can't even imagine for themselves. So it's not that they don't care, but maybe they just find it intimidating and your stories are a reflection of maybe a regret they had. And so it's, it might be a bit sad for them to, to discuss it. So yeah, not everyone will expressions and, and feedback will, will be for you. And that's okay. Yes, I'm, I'm also curious as well. Um, how did you know when it was right to move home back home? Okay. That's a really good question. So I knew that I should go back home when it was about the 13 or 14 month mark. I had saved a bunch of money to go travel to a new place every month. I think I also did that because I wanted to keep myself busy because I had already booked my flight back to America a couple months prior. I had made other travel plans and I didn't want to cancel them. So I think when I would keep myself busy and try to get my mind off of it or when I noticed I would be on Facebook a lot watching my family and stuff, or I felt sad that I couldn't talk to them. I knew that it was the right time to go back home because I was trying to ignore how I was feeling. I used it to go travel and do other things, whether it was like go to a cafe. I was always doing something to be busy. So I think when you're trying to be busy and you're trying to ignore your feelings, that's when you know it's time to go home. Also, I was kind of getting bored of eating the same thing, too. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but it's like there comes a point in time when you go travel somewhere and it's all exciting because it's new, it's fresh. It's like, you know, a honeymoon phase. And then there becomes a point where it's like you're angry about the little things like, why is the bus late? Or why did the bus not come? And little things start to annoy you that didn't really annoy you before so it's like one of those stages of culture shock I guess you could say but I started to get annoyed of little things and also missing my family so those were the moments where I knew I think it's time to go back home 
Uh, I so relate to that. And actually what you're describing there about going from that honeymoon phase to the annoyances, right? And I always, I, I remember having that experience too. And it, I find that that's the, the point where you go from being the tourist or the traveler to the local because this is your life, whether you like, then kind of listening to how you respond to that, right? And knowing, are these little nuances that make up my day and these little frustrations, are they a lifestyle that I want to include in my life? Or do I like other things differently? And that's really helpful. And as well as like you were saying, trying to fill up your day to stay busy and to try to avoid those feelings. I did the same exact thing. Definitely. That's when I decided I needed to move as well. So Emily, now that you're back in the States, what is your current focus over the the next few months, either personally or professionally? The next couple of months that I plan to work on is I have a podcast I talk about my journey of living overseas and grief and whatnot. So that's something I have been focusing on as well. Also putting out more content in terms of podcasts. Individually, I want to save more money and start my life here because I realized from being overseas that I love to travel. That's a given. But I love being at home. And I think sometimes when we come to a decision, we feel that we can't do both. We have to choose one or the other, but I know in my heart that I can have both. I can still be here with my family, and I can also travel too. So now what I'm trying to do is create the lifestyle where I can do both. Because I think it's possible that you don't have to choose between life and work and travel and love or whatever. You can have it all. You can do both. And that's what I'm currently working on as well is being able to do both things. In spite of everything, I am very close with my family. Being away, I felt, sometimes I felt guilty not being here for them or not seeing them because I love them so much. That's what I've been working on. Oh, that's fantastic. And it sounds like a really exciting year for you as well. So as you're working on figuring out your next steps or the life that you want to lead, what's maybe one or two tips that you have for women who are also in the same position as you? I would say if someone were in the same position as me that just returned home, I would say the best tip I can have is to not look at what other people are doing because I know I still have friends that are in Taiwan that are traveling and whatnot, and there's a point where I felt that I'm missing out. But the thing is, if it upsets you that you see other people doing it, is to really try to acknowledge that and to maybe not spend as much time on social media if you have those feelings of FOMO, I'm missing out, or my life was traveling, or my life was this, but now it's not, to then embrace the new chapter, whatever that is for you, whether it's getting a new job, whether it is traveling, because I think we tend to compare ourselves to other people. And once we do something great like that and we go back to normal, normal routine or if you will sometimes we think to ourselves well I am missing out or I should be doing this or my life here was a lot better but I think that if we express a sense of gratitude with where we are today that if we can think of things that we're grateful for where we are at in this moment that you can receive more that whatever the next step looks like for you mm-hmm. 
That's such good information and definitely something that I practice as well. Um, there's moments where, you know, I'm, I'm in the beginning stages of something in a certain area of my life and it's scary because you're in the known. You're, you're feeling very vulnerable because you're a beginner in that area and you're kind of uncertain about what the next step might be. And like you were saying, if you're comparing yourself, you as a beginner to where somebody else is, you know, as an expert um, on social media, it can be really overwhelming and it can stop you from doing what you need to do. So going on that, like unfollowing them for a bit, or even just like putting them on mute if you need to, that's okay in that moment, in that season, and you might return to them later, but it's okay and exactly what you need. Yes. And going off with that for me, because I went and I traveled and I did all these things and from the outside people think, oh my God, what you did was so great. But me, on the other hand, sometimes I feel behind in a sense in other areas. Well, I was able to travel because I don't have a boyfriend. I'm not engaged. I don't have my own house. So in a sense, I do feel behind in those areas. Whereas other people look at me and think, wow, she's doing all this traveling and stuff. From the outside, everyone's life may sometimes seem better than yours but it's to really embrace your journey embrace your life and to honor their journey and theirs and that there are going to be areas in your life as you said you're going to be a beginner again or you feel that you're not there yet and i think it's okay because there's going to be areas that you have done that other people may look at and other people that may have it oh so true yes (laughs) Well, Emily, it has been absolutely amazing speaking with you. And I want to make sure the girls listening know where to find you, especially your podcast. So where can they um, visit you and listen and hear about your own experiences? I have a podcast called In Search of Her. You can find it on all major platforms on Spotify, iTunes, wherever. You can also listen to it on my website, as well at emilyawalsh.com. You could do it that way. And I post some stuff on Instagram. If you go back, you'll see some of my travels as well. My IG handle is emily.a.walsh. So Emily A. Walsh, you can find me there as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, ladies, I will put all of the details on how to reach out um, to Emily and watch her journey and learn from her own experiences in the show notes below. So check her out. She's amazing. Emily, I can't wait to connect with you further and see you grow in your own vision uh, for 2020. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Of it's course. been a pleasure. And I hope that whoever's listening gets some piece of nuggets and take away from it. Oh, thanks so much. I'm sure they will. Take care, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully I gave you the boost you needed to start your week. If it did, it would be appreciated if you spent two minutes right now to give this podcast a review on iTunes and then share the episode with an introverted friend who needs to hear this message. Your review will make sure other ambitious introverts who are struggling to find their voice and focus find this show and can receive the love and support we hope you felt today. Thank you. And remember, your perceived introverted weaknesses are your powerhouse.